as people said. Amen. You can turn to Matthew chapter 13. We'll be looking at the parables of Jesus in a moment. Uh, some of you have been praying for uh, me physically. I appreciate that. It's been a weird week. Um, I, uh, I went, I got a new doctor uh, that uh, one doctor closed and, and, you know, I'm an immunologist and many of you know the issues there with the fact that my immune system's broken. And, and so I got a new immunologist, but he wanted to do that test where they test you for allergies. And so, you know, you, you give them your arm and they write, they pick, stick you 60 times. And it's just so exciting. Um, I started that process. Last time I did it, I passed out. It was so exciting. And so I warned them. I said, I, you know, they, I'm allergic to everything. And so go ahead. <laughs> but you better have somebody here with a wet washcloth because I react pretty strongly. And so they did the testing and we waited and we waited and we waited, and we waited, and nothing happened. I got my test results back. I am allergic to nothing now. Nothing. I don't know if it was the stem cell transplant. I don't know if God's hand has done something. But everything that I was, I mean, this is the same clinic that gave me desensitization shots. And when you do a stem cell, it wipes out all your immunity, and so it's gone. You know, so you start over. I am allergic to nothing. Uh, they said, you know, sight, like the stuff across the street will get me particulate matter, but no grasses, no trees, no nuts, no anything. I can't, I don't know how to explain it, folks, other than God. You know, it's like that was just my most amazing week. So I just wanted to share with you, thank you for praying for me, uh, because good things happened, and God is to be honored. Amen? Amen? Parables of Jesus, Matthew chapter 13, verse 10 we read these words. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak in parables to people? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. And then he quotes the Old Testament. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand and again, Isaiah, he quotes him, you will ever be hearing, but understanding will ever be seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears. They've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their ears, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts in turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are you, he says to the disciples, for your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous long to see what you see, but did not see it, and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today, and we thank you. We are amazed at what you can do. Uh, we pray today that you would do an amazing thing in our hearing, that as we look at the parables of Jesus, we would learn something of the kingdom of God and what you are doing among us. We pray in your holy name. Amen. While you're listening, you might turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke 8, we'll be looking at Luke 8 in a moment. Jesus used illustrations masterfully. He was the, he, he taught, the Bible says, unlike any man, he taught with power. Uh, well, his favorite kind of illustration to use, uh, you see in the New Testament, is the parable. Uh, when he teaches, he used that Commentators have, have noted that an understanding of parables is essential to understand the teachings of Jesus because 35% of what Jesus said was said in parables. 
with that large amount, it might be wise for us to understand what parables are and how they are used in the New Testament. Jesus tells us the purpose of the parable. We read here in Matthew uh, that it was about the kingdom of God, and he repeats that in Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15, when he says, When a great crowd was gathered and the people of the town had come at him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and he sowed, and some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock as it grew up and withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. And some fell on good soil and grew and yielded an hundredfold. And he said, These things he called out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what the parable meant, he said, To you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but to others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now, the parable is this the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, fall away. And, and as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but... As they go on their way, they're choked out by the cares and the riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Again, Luke 8, 4 through 15. Bible commentator Gordon Keddy uh, said that he had a brush with royalty. In 1959, he had the opportunity to have the Duke of Edinburgh visit his school where he was a student on the 300th anniversary of the school. He was a young teenager, and he was in a biology class, and he was asked by the professor to, of all things, dissect a rat before the royal prince. <laughs> Can you imagine how fun that must have been? First of all, it's nerve-wracking to do that anyway, if you've ever had to do it before. The, the prince leaned over and asked him, is there anything wrong with the rat? And uh, No. Uh, he opened it up. It's a normal rat, uh, except it's dead. <laughs> you know? And so he, he thought later, as he looked at that, he thought about many Bible commentators. He felt like they do the same thing. They dissect something, they pull it apart, they tease it, they cut it up, they disassemble it, they pin it down, uh, and, and it becomes like the dissected rat. It looks rather dead. I read commentators, and I would agree to that at some point. Dr. Lloyd Jones, Martin Jones, used to criticize preachers because he felt like they were sharing their reading material instead of sharing the passionate exposition of the word of God. Uh, you look at Jesus and he was a master teacher. As he shared with those individuals, he used illustrations. 
and the illustrations we talk about today are, are the parables and, and how do we understand what the parables are. When we look at this today, I want to just have two points and, and take it from that passage of scripture we just read in, in Luke. And the points are Jesus' parables reveal secrets of the kingdom of God, firstly. And secondly, Jesus' parables conceal the secrets of the kingdom of God. First of all, Jesus' parables reveal the secrets of the kingdom of God. We look at this, and Jesus tells the story of a sower. Uh, as he told the story, if you know the history, it's toward the end of his ministry. Uh, as we look at Jesus' life, we know it's coming toward an end. And he, and he taught this, the Bible says in 8.4, when a great crowd had gathered, and people from town after town came to follow him. Presumably at the conclusion of, of telling this parable the disciples come to him in verse 9 of chapter 8 now, as you're aware the the bible uses a number of different uh figures of speech different ways in which it communicates i want to share some of them with you so you understand the difference between a parable and some of the other things that jesus used and the bible talks about one one of them in the figure of speech is a simile and that is a comparison by resemblance we go to the Old Testament and we look at Psalm chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, and you read these words, The blessed man is like a tree planted by the streams of water. So we look at how it resembles something. We resemble a tree that's been planted by the rivers of water, and we grow fruitfully is the idea. But in the next verse, chapter 4, or verse 1, 4 says, And like chaff, the wind drives away the wicked. And so the wicked won't last because they're not rooted in God is the idea there. So a simile takes things and it resembles something. Second uh, figure of speech the Bible uses is metaphor. A metaphor is comparison by representation. A metaphor affirms that one thing is something else. We go to the Old Testament we look at Psalm chapter 84 verse 11. The Lord God is our sun and our shield. What does the sun do but gives life? It gives life to the earth. And what does the shield do but protect? Protect. So God is our giver of life and God is our protector. It's a representation when we use the word metaphor. Another thing the Bible uses is allegory. An allegory is where something is, is by implication. I'm suggesting something that this thing represents in a different way something else. And in the New Testament, usually it's a story that each thing means something else. Example would be the parable that we just read. So this means this, this means this, this means this, this means this. He gives you an idea of what those things mean. And so they are implied. The prodigal son is another story of an uh, example of allegory. A book that you may know, have read Christian-wise, is Pilgrim's Progress. If you read that, all the activities in that book, uh, Pilgrim's Progress, are an allegory that represents something spiritual uh, in, in God. So you need to be careful with allegories. Sometimes we read those and people read into them uh, things that are not there. A fourth figure of speech is hyperbole. It comes from two words, hyper, which means to go beyond, and bole, which means beside. And so the idea is I go beyond something. I exaggerate. An example of that would, would be Matthew 5, 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw away. I notice there are no people here today 
that don't have right eyes. We understand the fact that this was a, an exaggeration. We're supposed to get the point that we need to be careful about sin and, and, and separate ourselves from it in any way that we can. And so that's a hyperbole to go beyond. And then we come to the word parable. That's this fifth figure of speech. Uh, parable, it means to be beside something. So where hyperbole is to go beyond, parable is to cast alongside that we look at it. Para, beside, bole, to throw something, there it is. So I throw this beside it and I look at it. Alongside, I, I compare what it is. And some of the parables, most of them, really just have one point. It's one like an allegory like uh, that we would read, that this represents this, and this represents this, and this represents this. When you tell a, a normal parable, it just means one, he's trying to get one point across. So if I, if I use an example that God will come like a thief in the night, am I saying that God is a thief? Well, no, of course not. I'm saying he's going to come in that story when I don't expect it. That's the point of saying that. That's the parable, that he's going to come unexpectedly. When you look through the Bible and, and discover what kind of parables the Bible uses, uh, you notice a number of different ones. One is a simple three-point parable where, like, Jesus will describe things for the disciples, and, and it's almost like a sermon, and then they get out of it what it is. Or it could be a complex one like the one we just read. Uh, where Jesus told the story of this represents this, this represents this. And that's a complex three-point parable. I remember when I, when I taught in uh, OBU, um, I, I like to be able to explain some of these things because it, when we get out of school, do, do you remember simile and metaphor? And they all sound alike, don't they? But if we don't understand what it's trying to get a, across, we will misinterpret so I think it's rightly dividing the word of God when we understand the part of speech that we're dealing with. You didn't have to make an A in English to understand that. It just if you understand the words and what's going on, you will get the point. One of the shorts uh, in, in Luke, if you look in Luke, there's three of them that you're quite familiar with. One of them is a short one, again, one point, and that's in Luke 5:36, a new patch on an old garment. Remember, Jesus tells if I have a new garment and I put a patch on it, and, and it, it will tear. And so he talks about that. Or, or he talks about an old wineskin and a patch on it and how what will happen with that. Or the blind leading the blind. All these parables are trying to teach one point. R.C. Sproul says parables are rare in the Old Testament, frequent in the synoptic. If you remember, synoptic means see the same, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're called the synoptic gospels because they tell the story of Jesus in a similar way. But John's completely different, and John has no parables at all. And so when you look through the New Testament, you come back to Luke, which has some of the uh, many parables. And he says in Luke 8, 9 to the disciples, to you it has been given to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God. The purpose for a parable is to reveal something to you. You look in the New Testament, and one of the words that's used there, and maybe in your translation, is the word mysteries. Mysteries. The word mystery to us comes from the word mysteria, 
Uh, and, and you would say, if I read a mystery novel, I'm looking at a novel where I don't understand what's going on, right? I'm trying to figure out what, what the secret is. Was it the butler? <laughs> you know, was it somebody else? I read a mystery, and I'm trying to understand what is there. It, it's either insolvable, I can't solve the problem, or it's a puzzle that I have to figure out. If the author doesn't tell me somewhere along the way on the last page, I'm trying to decide in that mystery, what is it that I'm trying to discover? But the word mystery in the Bible is not used that way. Mystery in the Bible is something that God has revealed to you. That's the way the word mystery is used. It is a biblical principle that God revealed. It was unknown at one time. You couldn't figure it out with your mind. You could not solve it as a puzzle. God had to reveal it to you. And that's the idea of the word mystery. One commentator said biblical mysteries are spiritual truths, truths that spiritual things are unknown to us until God reveals them. Let me give an example of one. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 and 52. You've probably heard this passage before, uh, and especially maybe at a funeral. Behold, he says, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. God has now revealed something, hasn't he? I tell you a mystery. There's the word mystery. It's a revelation to you and I. And he says in this revelation, when the Lord returns, the dead will be raised imperishable. And Christians will be changed and put in glorified bodies. I wouldn't have known that unless God revealed it. I couldn't have parsed it out. I couldn't have figured it out. I, I, I could have suggested, I, I, oh, I wonder what it's going to be like when I, when, I'm, when I die. What will happen? God tells us. He reveals the mystery. Again, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, It is best defined as the rule of God. The kingdom of God is present wherever God is reigning. That is what Jesus is doing. He's telling them about the kingdom of God mysteries. He's revealing to the disciples and those who believe in Jesus what God wants them to know. Jesus came to teach about the kingdom of God. That's what he says in these two passages. I'm preaching about God's kingdom. I mean, think of it this way. He came to tell them that they had broken the king's laws, right? That's what he was telling them. We have broken it. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We broke the king's laws. And, and those laws were given to us to benefit us, but we perverted them, he said to the Jews. They turned their backs on the king, and they rebelled against the king and sought to do their own thing. Because the king was righteous, as God is, he had to punish lawbreakers for all the sin and control of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is what? Death. What kind of death? When we break the king's laws, we have physical death, but we also have eternal death, separation from him. But the king loves his creatures, Jesus says, and he wants to make provision for them. And so he designed a way for those rebellious members of his kingdom to come into a right relationship with him. He did it by giving them a substitute, by giving them his son, 
who paid the penalty for the rebellious creature's sins. That substitute, the Lord Jesus Christ, is perfect, and he satisfied the justice of God. And the penalty for rebellion was paid because Jesus died on the cross in our place on Calvary, but he raised him from the dead. Can we say amen? And he came back three days later. So Jesus' mission was to seek and to save that which is lost, is what he said. And the focus of his ministry was to proclaim what? The good news. That was his first sermon. I have come to proclaim this, the good news of the kingdom of God. And so what's required is a response from the rebellious people. Sinners have to acknowledge that they have broken the king's laws. They have to turn from the sin that they're doing and believe that Jesus paid the penalty on their account and accept what he has given, what Jesus taught. That was the message of the kingdom of God. And so the purpose the parables that we read, he says in this 8-4 when he talks to the great crowd, was to give them the secret and enable them to know what they needed to do. You read that passage of scripture and some people read it wrongly. Yes, Jesus says there's a very good reason I'm trying to illustrate the teachings of the parables. The reason is ultimately rooted in the counsel of God's eternity, God's plan of redemption. God designed that before the foundation of the world. Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. It is part of the mystery. We would not have known that had he not told us. Again, a mystery revealed, the grace of God. And so what do we do? We embrace that grace. We accept that grace. We believe in that grace, and we believe in the message of the kingdom of God. Hearing the truths can save us. It calls us. The work of grace through the Holy Spirit engulfs us it regenerates us and it causes the lost person to accept from the father what he offers for all eternity for many are called but few are chosen and jesus tells that when he uses that jesus says jesus says the parables reveal the secrets of the kingdom of god but secondly he says this jesus tells them that his parables conceal the secrets of the kingdom of God to others. When you look at that second point, you read Luke 8, 10, and the last part of that says, but for others they are in parables so that that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. He, he quotes Isaiah 6, 9 when he says, says that. And, and, and he, he compares the clarity with which the people understand with this lack of understanding with everybody else. Their unbelieving response and therefore the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, that they won't understand. Some of them will not. Jesus spoke in parables to expose the hardness of their heart. He was clear about what he was talking about. It, it was obvious. If you hear the stories, a child could understand what Jesus was saying. But yet they want to rebel against the king. Jews wanted Jesus dead because they wanted Jesus dead. They wanted to be in power. They wanted to rebel. They, they, weren't, they knew the word of God, didn't they? They came to the scribes and they asked them, where is this going to happen? What does it say in the Bible? And when they heard it, they still rebelled against God, where he would be born, how he would be born. They rebelled against God. 
They knew what Jesus was doing, and they knew he spoke unlike any other man. They saw the miracles, but they rebelled against God because they wanted to do what they wanted to do. They rejected Jesus and what he was doing. They knew they were rejecting Jesus. They knew it. They simply did not want to submit to the truth of what Jesus was preaching. Herman Hanko, a minister, makes a fascinating point. He says, oftentimes the wicked Pharisees understood the meaning of Jesus' parables before the disciples did. You would see the reaction. They would become immediately incensed with the words of Jesus. They knew what Jesus was saying. They knew he compared himself to the Son of God. They called it blasphemy. They understood what Jesus was saying. There was no doubt about it. They comprehended it. It was not the obscurity of the message. They knew what he said. So Jesus says, go and say to the people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Isaiah was predicting what was going to happen. Jesus was not trying to be obscure or difficult. He just explained, I gave a simple message. You hear, you understand. They do not because they choose not to. They rebel. They didn't want to bow the knee to Jesus. They wanted to rule their own life. We've used the example over the years in in, uh, tracks where you, you see your life and in your soul is a throne and on that throne you set until Jesus comes and he says that's my place I want to be on the throne of your life and you have a choice you either sit there on the throne and rule your own life or you get up and let Jesus be Lord and get out of the way and let God be God the Jews did not they wanted to be in control as we conclude we remind ourselves that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. His message was simple. His parables were designed to illustrate the truths of the kingdom of God. There are many ways to classify the parables. Uh, Let me simplify them for you. I think, number one, the parables can be arranged in this way, the nature of the kingdom of God. He describes what God's kingdom is like. Here's what God's kingdom is like. When you look in the New Testament, and we'll look at this over the next few weeks, there are anywhere from 30 to 50 parables, depending on how you define what a parable is. Let's just say 40. And most of those are found in the book of Luke. Again, you don't find any in John. You hardly find any in the Old Testament. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke, especially Luke, you, you hear the illustrations. Um, one pastor said the illustrations are like windows into the sermon. It lets you see inside and understand what it is. Jesus first told us of the nature of the kingdom of God. I think secondly, he used parables to talk about the characteristics of the kingdom of God. Here's what the kingdom of God will do. Here's how it will perform. Here's what it will do to you. Here's how you will respond to it, if you will. Here's how it will change you. Here's what it will accomplish. And thirdly, he talks about the consummation of the kingdom of God. He explains to us how it will all wrap up. What will happen? Again, that when he uses the illustration that God's a thief in the night. 
It would be an example of a consummation of the kingdom of God. And so the nature of it, how its characteristics are, and how it will wrap itself up, Jesus gives us all. That's the message. I came to proclaim, acceptable year of the Lord, the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is like. And all those parables are a window into what it is, what we study. Today as we close, I want to ask you a question. As you consider the message that Jesus brought regarding the kingdom of God, do you rejoice as a citizen of the kingdom of God? Are you a citizen? Are you part of God's kingdom? Are you involved? Are you a person who follows the king? Or do you find yourself resisting the message like the scribes and Pharisees, when you hear a message from God, do you say, I can't do that? I I can't act that way. Even though I know I'm supposed to do that, I don't. I refuse. That's troubling. We either are a part of the kingdom of God or we are not a part of the kingdom of God. What do we choose to do? How you respond tells a lot about yourself. I pray you respond in faith. I pray you respond in repentance. I pray you enter the kingdom of God and the blessings that he holds. Let me give you a modern parable. One that's made up. It's not in the Bible, but it's one that may give you insight again to parables. Let's call it the hijacking parable. The hijacking parable. We all get on a plane. We, we understand what those are like. And you and I have over the years seen planes that have been hijacked. We remember stories of, of, of planes on the tarmac and, and how you can see through the window where the pilot is, someone who has hijacked the plane. You remember 9-11. You know what can happen. God himself directed the takeoff of the plane. It was his plan. The plane was the thing that he sent to us that we would get on and find our way to him. Except somewhere along the way, the initiator of evil, we call him the devil, he managed to get a boarding pass. And so he's on the plane with us. We reach cruising altitude, we are flying, and the devil produces weapons. He threatens the pilot and he takes over the aircraft and its passengers. The plane now becomes fearful of what's going to happen in the future. Are we going to get from airport to airport? Are we going to wind up? Imagine the tarmac being Jerusalem, and we're sitting there, the outpost of a Roman empire. The reign is the leader, Tiberius Caesar. And then the Son of God offers himself as a substitute a hostage for all those who are on the plane. Take me instead. That's what Jesus did for us. In the midst of a hijacking of God's plan, Jesus steps up and offers himself to us as the one who will take our place. I offer you today, Jesus, the substitute for your sin, a parable a modern one. May you hear and believe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today. We look, Lord, 
at these parables and we study them and we'll look at the meaning over the next few weeks of what it is that you want us to understand. The, the meaning of these stories is so important. If, if a third of all that you told us was in parables, it's important for us to learn them and learn the meaning behind them. May we read your words and interpret those and not just know what they're about, but as citizens of the kingdom of God, be willing to do what you want us to do in those parables, to be the people you want us to be, to assume the characteristics of those in the parable that are honoring to the king. Dear Lord Jesus, we are part of your kingdom. You told the people in your day that your kingdom was not of this world. You were a different kind of king. We want to be a part of your kingdom, God. We want to be where you are leading us. So may we step off the throne and may we get out of the way and let you lead our lives. We pray in Jesus' holy name today. In a moment, we're going to sing an invitation hymn.